when I think about catalysts, it really is individuals that deliver pearls of wisdom that can be taken away to all parts of your life. Hi, I'm Shannon Lucas. I'm one of the co-CEOs of Catalyst Constellations, which is dedicated to catalyzing innate change makers to accelerate positive change. And I'm Justin Scott Campbell. I'm a DEI consultant and leadership executive coach. This is our podcast, Catalyzing, Catalyzing a, a Culture of, of inclusion. inclusion, where we highlight catalysts who have taken the brave step of moving into DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, leadership in large organizations. We hope this mini-series is a space of learning, encouragement, and ultimately community and connection. If you're new to DEI and or the world of Catalysts, we hope you'll enjoy. And today is my great pleasure to introduce Will Lewis. As Experian's Chief, Global Chief Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Talent Acquisition Officer, Will is leading the company's DEI and talent acquisition strategy by driving innovation and product development, facilitating key partnerships, and building on the company's culture of belonging to attract top talent that represents the communities in which Experian operates in the world. Prior to this role, Will was diversity and inclusion executive at the Bank of America. During his tenure there, he had several roles, including the head of DNI for their wealth management and consumer businesses, which encompassed more than 120,000 employees, and held responsibility for the firm's global employee networks, which includes more than 350 chapters and 180,000 plus memberships. He currently serves on the board of Disability In, National Disability Institute, and Home Free US. He is a very busy man, and this is the short version of his bio. Will is a proud graduate of Drake University and resides with his family in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome, Will. Hello, Shannon and Justin. I'm so excited to have this conversation today. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here, Will. So our first question uh, is, as a DEI leader, how do you relate to this idea of, of, of a catalyst? It, it, it shows up in your bio uh, already, uh, in, if if you're able to read it. But in this, in the way that we're talking about, but I'm curious for you, how how do you relate to that idea uh, of being a catalyst? You know, the way I look at catalyst is really someone that's a disruptor, right? Um, and if you think about it, the greatest changes that have occurred throughout history have been because someone stepped in and disrupted the status quo, not just because, but really out of the desire to get to something even greater, something even better, something that's even more impactful to a larger group of, of, uh, of individuals. That's, that's what I think about Catalyst. That's really what we're doing. It certainly applies to this work that we're doing in DEI. But if you, if you think about it, it can apply through all aspects of our lives. As a matter of fact, when I think about Catalyst, it really is individuals that deliver pearls of wisdom that can be taken away to all parts of your life, right? If you leave an audience and that audience says, my goodness, I want to do that one thing that he said, or my goodness, I, I really would love to talk to that, to talk to have talk to Will a bit more because then, then you've been, a, you've started, you started the path to catalyst. What really drives us forward even more, I think, is not only that one bit where I, the individual, connect, but when then I inspire you to do the same thing with others. Right? The greatest catalysts are ones that start a movement that goes beyond themselves, and they're not even in the room. Change is still happening. That's amazing. Totally agree. And the disruptor is such an interesting framing for Catalyst because the next question that we want to ask you is about the one to two skills that have made you successful as a Catalyst leader. But if you could, I'd love for you to comment on like 
we are disruptors and we get called that a lot. Sometimes, even though we're well-intentioned, we are not positive disruptors because we don't understand the ecosystem or we don't have enough self-knowledge or we just haven't built out some of the critical skills that make us effective. So I'm wondering if you could share one or two skills that have made you successful and, and maybe also the stories about how they made you successful or maybe times that you failed, which where you were like, oh, I wish I had had that skill at the time. Oh my gosh. Uh, let's, so let's, let's start. Let's start off with the second part of that question first, right? Because um, this is this is the wisdom of time and experience that we all we all will gain over our lifetimes about different aspects, right? One of the things I often say, and this comes from a theorist by the name of Clint Ken Blanchard, is situational leadership, right? So just because you have a skill, you can't apply it across everything. You have to apply it to that specific situation at that time and then move on to another one. It's something that I live by when I think about leadership. And then if I and by the way, if you're going to be a catalyst, you are a leader. Um, if you're going to be a successful catalyst, yes. you are a leader. You know? yeah. um, and one of the things that I, when I think back to my history that I probably wasn't as successful with is you can, you can see a problem, right? Imagine yourself lining up and you can see the problem statement and you can see what needs to be done. And in your mind, you have decided to hear the steps I need to take to get it done. And then you go off about the business of doing it. Right. Most people would say, well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's what we need is more of that. The missing step there was getting everybody else on board with what you're seeing as well. You know, and so when, when I think back to, you know, earlier on in my career, it, it was slowing down to be able to bring everyone else along with what you're doing as well. And by the way, being receptive to learning that what you thought you knew may not be spot on, right? Because you always have to be open to new inputs um, that, that individuals will come along. So as you're listening and learning and trying to influence individuals to get on side with what you're doing, you also have to be open to saying, gosh, my original hypothesis wasn't altogether accurate. I gained new information, which means I have to course correct or I have to adjust and I have to change. And frankly, that's the that's the tip that I would leave, or the pearl of wisdom I would leave with anyone that's listening today is um, learn from my mistakes, slow down to go fast, right? Listen, learn, absorb, and then be sure that you're all moving along. By the way, that doesn't just happen once if you're a catalyst. <laughs> that happens continually as you're going along along the process as well. Uh, you, let me give you an analogy when I think about it, right? And, you're building a new house. You have a lovely home there. And as you're building your house, um, the architect comes out and says, here are the plans. Here's what we're going to do. So she lays out there. She, the architect lays out all the plans and says, here's what we're going to do. But if she's a good architect, what she'll also do is make sure the structural engineer has input and the electrician has input. And the, and the HVAC person who works out your heating and air conditioning has input. You know, that way, you're getting the voices of many to inform her design and how she's going to build a house. Oh, and don't forget the end customer. That's you, the person you're doing this for. As you know, there's this saying, nothing for us without us. Um, and wow, so, yeah, yeah I, I love this saying, nothing for us without us. Yeah. Because even though you have all these other voices who are stakeholders in what you're doing, the, the question you should also ask yourself is, who are you doing this for? Like, who is your end customer? Who is your target audience? Consult them. Yes. Don't just show up at their doorstep and say, here you go. <laughs> and, and they never had a vote in it. I just want to recap because 
everything you said, this is like the, you, you pulled out the pearls of the book, right? The move fast, break shit, burnout is what we do if we're not intentional and slowing down. And so the key is exactly what you said, slow down just a little bit, get that clarity of vision because you've talked with all of the people who were, you know, gonna be involved or impacted, right? You're, you're bringing other people along. I just, you said it so well, you said it better than I'm saying it, Justin. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think I wanna put myself in maybe uh, I thought a newer leader in this space's role or feet or shoes or whatever, sorry, uh, the, the analogy's uh, skipping me today. Um, but there's sometimes I think in these roles of pressure, right? To produce results, right? To prove that your existence, uh, <laughs> you have to kind of provide evidence for your existence quickly, right? In order yeah. to get, um, you know, people on board to begin with. So it's kind of like, which comes first, you know, like, uh, yeah. and so if I'm a leader in that space and I'm feeling that downward pressure, but I'm also feeling this pressure inside of me, because I think for me coming into this work, um, it wasn't just a job, right? It was like existential. Like this is about, you know, my kids, this is about my ancestors. So there's, there is this kind of like uh, these stakes that feel so big. So how do you as a leader embody that that notion of slowing down the longer timeline uh, in light of some of these uh, other variables that are kind of going on both internally and externally? Yeah, we have to start out, Justin, great question. We have to start out by being real with ourselves, right? And this is this is sometimes a harder pill to swallow um, for, for DEI practitioners, right? And that is, you know, you have this calling, this, 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 swelling that's going on inside of you like I'm, I'm here because I want to drive change I want to make things better I see that something I see an injustice is happening and, and and my drive is to do that but we also have to realize that we're working in a corporation and the corporation's first job is the survival of the corporation you know and so when I think about this work all, all the things that you and I just said are really important, but we have to step back and say, what's important to the business? Because before all of that, I am a business person. And as a business person and as a business leader who seeks to gain the respect, the input and the guidance of the other senior executives who don't have this area of responsibility in the company, I have to align the things I wanna do with things that are important to them. So the most important thing that, that a DNI person can do, in my opinion, is before you become an expert in, in DEI and before you become an expert in driving representation and before you become an expert in learning and training, become an expert in your business. Understand how that company makes money understand what's important to the priorities of that organization and that company, and then begin to think about the things that you're an expert in from a, D, a, a, a DEI perspective and determine how does my expertise help support the organization in moving forward on their mission. Um, if you align it to the mission and continually frame it in that way, what will happen is you'll get individuals that will want to follow you because you are helping them achieve their goals while also achieving your goals. I think where we may fall off sometimes is we get so myopically focused on this is what I want to do. We forget about what everyone else wants to do. And, and whether we like it or not, in a large corporation, we can't thrive solely just on heart. Our heart has to align with the brain of the company. Um, and then if we can get both of those two things aligned, you take off like a rocket ship and the things you have to do, but it's worth the time up front to be able to make sure you get that alignment, build that respect and genuinely gain that understanding, right? Any place I've worked, I've worked hard to understand um, how we make money, 
and then what I can do to help support that cause as an organization. If you're for, if you're working for a for-profit organization, that's the key. By the way, if you're working for a not-for-profit organization, that's also the key because they're fundraising and they're trying to make money for themselves as well, just in a different way. It, like it or not, that is that is the center of it. But I believe that those two things can align. I believe our heart can align with the values of the company where we want to go. And those are the kind of that's why I love working here at Experience so much. To be honest, is because. Experian as a company has aligned this work around inclusion along with this business purpose, right? Um, I heard our, our CEO recently say, um, driving financial inclusion is not a project, it's who we are, or something to that effect, he said. Um, and, and then you'll begin to see products and things that we're doing that are really aligned to that. I think those of us like me that are lucky enough to work for a company that truly does believe this, and, and as aligning their product strategy and their organizational strategy to that, we're the luckiest people in the world. You jumped to the next question that I was gonna ask you because the first skill that I heard you say was the situational leadership. And so under that, I'm gonna to totally steal that by the way, because in that one skill, you have the self-awareness. You're like, you need to know yourself first. You have the slowing down, you have the listening, you have the empathy. Um, you have the the bringing people into the conversation and you have the like developing the deep business knowledge that becomes the foundation. I mean, if you could explain to people, I know what Experian does, but if you could explain to people what Experian does, and I'm wondering if you have a tidbit, because not all global DEI leaders, I think, would have the same opportunity that you would given Experian's business. Like for most companies, it should be a business mandate, right? Oh. There's just untapped markets if you like from the pure profit perspective. Right. And so that's where the heart and the business can align. But a lot of times the DEI gets funneled into sort of internal focus. And I'm wondering if you have, yeah, a comment on the skill of helping the productization of inclusion. Yeah. You, you know, in the United States, most people knew of Experian as a credit bureau or the credit company. And the truth is, while that is a part of our business, we're so much broader as an organization, as a company. I like to think about us as a large technology and data company totally. who has to focus on driving um, financial inclusion um, around the world. And so when we think about this, one of the things we've been doing is saying, let's solve the world's problem. Let's solve one of the world's problems. <laughs> um, and, and as we think about it, there's a challenge that many people have every day. It's how do I achieve my life goals, right? And, and for some people, those life goals can be getting a new car because that's their sense of immediacy. It is eventually getting to the point where they have home ownership. It could be how do I instill in my, my children or my grandchildren um, this knowledge around financial power so they can begin to use it uh, to their benefit. Or maybe it's around opening a small business. The good news is I think at Experian, we're uniquely positioned to help with many of those things along the way. Now, you know, y'all gonna have to forgive me because I get so excited about this work that I start talking about products and it sounds like I'm talking about, I'm, I'm on a sales job, but but it's so, it's so pertinent, I think, to our conversation. So I'm not gonna talk about tons of stuff. I'm gonna give you one or two things, though, right. right? So I think about um, some work that we're doing here in the US with something that we launched or, or recently um, called Experian, you, that, that's an auto product, right? It's a feature, a part of the Experian app, right? You can download the Experian app on the App Store or, or, or um, uh, Google Play. Um, but when you do, you, if you're looking for cheaper automobile insurance, right? Because you're looking to lower your everyday expenses, 
we essentially act as a broker and go and poll uh, different insurance companies and give you rates that are cheaper. You type in what you're looking for, right? I'm looking to only pay this amount of money and I need to have comprehensive coverage or whatever it is you need to have. And it comes back to you with options for you to choose from. Like to me, that's a real life thing that helps a person lower their bills, right? Also bringing positive payment history into someone's credit score. You know, a credit score is a key to buying homeowner to home ownership or to getting lower interest rates for a car or anything else, you credit card or anything else you may be taking out a loan for. That interest rate matters. That's money out of your pocket. The higher your credit score, the lower your interest rate is. Um, one of the things that has not traditionally happened is bringing in your positive payment history from utility bills or even from renting. That does not impact your credit score in many cases today. What we've done at Experian is that let's bring that in. Let's bring your cell phone bill into this. Let's bring in your electric bill and your light bill into what we're doing. Let's bring in where we can your rental payment history. Um, so you get how you get credit for paying on time, right? You've been a renter for 10, 15 years. Don't you deserve credit for paying on really? time? That's time brilliant. And bringing on your interest rates. To me, this is real life stuff. This is how we're really helping the neighbor, the person you see at, at, at your place of worship, the individual that you interact with at work. This is how we're helping you lower the amount of money that's coming out of your pocket is real. It's real. So when we talk about financial inclusion, uh, this is really real stuff. And by the way, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, and I'm probably going on longer than you wanted me to. But um, what we know is lack of access to affordable credit disproportionately impacts people of color, black and brown people, and then also those from rural parts of America, rural white Americans. Um, these things that I'm talking about go right to the heart of where the problem is. And I think where all of us can do more is exposing these opportunities, this knowledge base uh, to those individuals, right? And making sure that they know that this is an option for them. Some people, people that I grew up with, um, don't realize that this is an option uh, for them. My job externally to answer your question is to be sure that, that folks know this is an option for you too. You're not excluded. We want you to be included as a part of this. Amazing examples. And so in your role, just quickly to put a bow on this one, in your role, then you are helping with the productization or the evangelization of the inclusive product set. Is that fair? Well, there's two things. It's evangelization, but it's also around the inception of the product itself, right? Right. How, how, what is needed? What are the gaps? How do we come, come, how do we come up with it? And yeah. by the way, it doesn't just end only with me and my team. We believe in bringing others into this as well, right? So I think about recently we held a hackathon with historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. We had students from many HBCUs enter a hackathon comp competition. $40,000 was a scholarship prize at the nice. end, of, which, which is a lot of money, right? Yeah. I've never been to college. If someone gave me $40,000 when I was an undergrad, I'd have been doing flips. <laughs> these, these young people were really, really excited about this. What they did is they came up with ideas of their own products that they thought would help drive financial inclusion. Some of those products may be ones that we're able to help bring, uh, bring to the forefront, but they created products that would specifically help young people understand what credit was, how it could impact them and bring them into the credit ecosystem. They made proposals and pitches and ultimately uh, one did win uh, the $40,000 scholarship along the way. But it's an example around how we're starting with, with the point, point of concept as well, yeah. all the way through evangelization. Nothing for us 
without us. That's it. That's it. it. For us without us. <laughs> so you're taking on these like massive systems challenges, which is a great leverage point in your role at such a company. How do you get the support you need? Because there's also like the resistance that comes with taking on these massive, you know, systemic challenges. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what's really, I think what's really important, this goes back to where we kind of started our conversation and it's really aligning the work that we're trying to accomplish and do to how we can actually make positive impact on the company as well, right? So as mm -hmm. we're talking to shareholders and stakeholders, we can say we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. It also feeds a niche in the market that's missing that no one else is doing uh, right now. And by the way, it's something that if we do this well, we can partner with other businesses to help them know it. This is where, um, th this is, is we get it to other B2B, other businesses. This is where we can actually potentially uh, sell some of this concept to other businesses to help bring them along the way. By the way, many of those things I just spoke about, we're not going out saying consumer, individual, Shannon, you need to pay us this to do that. In, in many of the cases, that's not the case at all. It's around, you know, it's around, hey, we think that boost is something that you just need. We need you to boost your credit score by bringing in positive payment history. We call it Experian Boost. Um, and that you, you can do that without paying a fee at all. That's just what you do uh, to bring in a booster score. Like that's part of doing good in the world. But if we were talking to another business, we can help them reach their consumers, but there may be an impact to those consumers. So what, what it does is it ties to our business needs, our business goals as an organization as well. That's the key. What we're trying to do to drive financial inclusion has to tie to um, furthering the company's overall mission as well. Yeah, and I, I really like just from my perspective too, framing this idea of financial inclusion around history, right? Because of the lack of financial inclusion. And so y'all are really doing a lot of great work around flipping a lot of the stuff that has happened uh, around <laughs> who got loans and who didn't get loans and why and why not. And there's so much, especially in the city of Chicago that, you know, we could get into, I know, but um, it's just great to have that that framework uh, as well, that historical framework around this work and, and why it's so important to have these kind of real world tangible effects um, for folks. Uh, Justin, let me tell you where I think you and Shannon and all of your listeners can really may help make an impact as well, right? Historically, there's this lack of trust in institutions and, and the bank is considered an institution. By some people, Experian and the other credit organizations are considered an institution. And so there's, that, there's this lack of trust that's going on there. And one of the things that I think we all need to do is to try and build that trust and understand that there's a goal to be helpful here and help people understand that there's other options other than layaway. Some, some, some of you all mm -hmm. may not have ever heard of layaway, but mm -hmm. it's like you go into the store and you're like, gosh, back to school time is coming and I need to buy these clothes for my, for my children, uh, but I don't have enough money to pay for them. So I go shopping in April for back to school time and I, mm -hmm. and I put a deposit on the clothes and then I come in and I pay, you know, $5 or $10 or whatever I can afford to pay every, you know, week or two until I paid it off. And then I get those clothes come September. Now that's still because that's the only way I can afford to actually do it or the whole rent to own um, thought, right? I, I moved into a new apartment or a new place and I need to get a couch. Uh, but I can't afford that five, six hundred dollar couch. So I'm going to put the I'm going to rent to own. But what happens at the end of that is you end up paying far more than the actual value of the couch. And by the time you actually pay that couch off through rent to own, the couch is worn out already. But if we were able to help you understand how to better um, access 
uh, an improved credit score, thus lowering your interest rates, maybe you can buy that couch on credit outright the day of on a little to zero interest, depending on the, on the retailer, right? Um, um, interest rate and pay that off much faster, right? It's, and it's putting money back into the household of people who need it the most. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Um, and so I think it's great for everyone to even as they're listening to get that uh, uh, that education. I think that around what the options are and the optionality around that. So as you look into the future, the horizon line, what are some of the the biggest challenges that you see uh, for yourself as a as a DEI leader? Oh, I, I think you know as I think about DEI broadly. Um, including the internal component, which is one of the questions that Shannon had as well. I think one of the challenges that we have ahead of us is keeping everyone um, uh, focused on it, right? And so what sometimes happens is there's this cycle, right? Where there's a lot of interest and a lot of focus and funding and, and folks really try and drive DEI forward. I think our risk is, you know, our short attention spans get in the way and we move on to the next thing. And we and then we say, oh no, no, that's we did that. That's taken care of. Well, it does, it didn't end in, in a year or two, right? It didn't end after the murder of George Floyd, and then there was a year of reckoning, and then we moved on. Instead, this is something that's ongoing. And and I think the largest challenge ahead of us is for folks like myself and yourselves as catalysts to continue to keep um all of our allies and those folks who are not allies galvanized around this issue and understanding how this relates to them, which leads me into the second challenge that I think is there. And it's helping all individuals understand um, that this potentially could impact them as well. Your skin doesn't have to be the same color as my skin, right? You're, uh, you know, you don't have to have a disability or not. You don't have to identify with the queer or LGBT community to not. You don't have to, any of those other affinities. This work around diversity really applies to us all and it impacts all, all of our lives. And I think the second item is helping folks that may not, it may not be as obvious or apparent to them, understand that this actually, um, that you have a role in this as well. Mm -hmm. And are there any key learnings that you think that you're going to be taking from the things that you've been through, maybe the last cycle that you just described, we went through, I think we, we were saying we went through that, right, um, that you'll take into the next cycle uh, and, and anything that you would you would want to share with listeners? Yeah, straight, white, able-bodied uh, men, we have to talk to them. We, we have mm -hmm. to bring them along on this journey with us. We can't do this alone. We can't do this by ourselves. Um, we have to admit that that is the majority population in our society, and that's okay. And what I've learned in my travels is that many, if not most, want to want to be supportive, want to be an ally, want to help. But I think for those of us that are in roles like this, we also have to give grace, right? Because one of the fears that population has is, what if I say something wrong? Am I going to be villainized? What if I do this the wrong way? Is it easier just to be quiet? Because if I say something wrong, I don't want to be villainized. And instead, let's lead with grace and assume if someone does make a misstep or say something wrong, that, um, um, that it was just a mistake, right? Let's assume positive intent. If we assume positive intent, it often clears away a lot of the other woes and take it as an education moment. Someone makes a misstep, straight white male, able-bodied, that we say, yes, they made a mistake. It was just a mistake. 
let's take this as a coaching opportunity, get them to where uh, to, to understand how the words that they use in that particular instance impacted me or another population. And then we can and then use them to help evangelize the work beyond them as well, right? Oftentimes what I find is, and that's just like any anyone else, right? I mean, think back to when you all were in, in elementary school, right? And you did something wrong in the classroom if you if you went into a schoolhouse for, for school and you got punished by the teacher. Um, those punishments have changed over the years. They're probably different when I was in school than what they are now, but the goal was to stop you from doing it again, right? There was a negative consequence for whatever the action was you had. The same thing goes on in diversity. Somebody says something wrong, even though they're positively intended, and the negative consequences, they get ridiculed and hung out to dry. They're never gonna support again because they don't wanna take that risk. Let's not bring on the negative consequences if there was positive intent. That's different than, by the way, a repeat offender who's like very intentionally doing something. So those are two different things. I don't wanna co-mingle them. Yeah, no, and that makes that makes sense. So uh, as we kind of move into to rapid fire, you know, we're going to get uh, into a little bit of the of the quicker answers and just you know, first thing that comes to your Let mind. Me warm up. Um, Let me warm up. We're yeah, ready. yeah, yeah. Well, you get, get the stretches in and everything. Um, and so the first rapid fire question we have is uh, one thing you do to be ready for a big meeting. Good night's sleep. Got to rest. You got to rest. People will talk about preparing and doing all your stuff and all those other things, all important. But if, but if you're not, if you aren't well rested and you can't piece together words because you're so exhausted, you're not going to do anyone any good. Good night's rest. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a way of preparing in a way. Um, thank you. So thank you for that one. Uh, all right. Favorite way to spend a free day? Oh, man. So this weekend, um, I... I hang out with my family, right? And so I'm fortunate that my family, I happen to come from a family of very long-lived people, right? So so we have relatives in their 80s and 90s and we have the babies. Um, so there's there's four, maybe five, four living generations in, a, in, our, in our family right now. And so we got together with a bunch of them. By the way, when I say a bunch, it was actually less than 10. Like there's, there's lots more of us, but just having that small gathering and um, we sat, we ate, we talked, we listened to our elders and, and visited. It was like, it was supposed to be a one hour uh, experience. And I think it was like seven hours yesterday, <laughs> but, um, but it was fantastic. I think having that input of love it's great spending time with family. That's great. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay, uh, favorite famous catalyst, alive or dead, and why? Okay, this is where I'm supposed to say somebody really famous or somebody, you know. Not necessarily. No, yeah. We've even had someone call out PBS as their favorite catalyst, so yeah. you can have fun. <laughs> I think it's my maternal grandmother, you know, and, and, um, and I really... Actually, it's two people. It's my maternal grandmother, and then I have a great aunt on my paternal side of the family. Between the two of them, um, they grew up in a different time, in a different era as women, right? My, my paternal great aunt, who, I, who never had children of her own, but I was particularly close to, um, you know, was born in 1917 or, or something like that. It came along as a woman with um, of Native American background during a time when Native Americans were being pushed off their um, their reservations and the way she looked, she could pass as a black person um, as well along, along that lines. And she managed to not only assert herself as a woman, assert herself as an independent woman, 
who was able to work. And I know that sounds like a, like, like an odd thing that they able to work. She was born in the 19-teens, right? And mm-hmm. she worked for her, she worked on her own um, her entire life and made her own living and wasn't afraid to assert herself and then was able to instill that in myself and, and others of us. And I think sometimes when we think about history, I know this is rapid fire, but sometimes when we think about history, we have to remember those that came along before us in a different era and not apply 2023 lens to a person that was born in 1917. Apply 1917 lens Mm. to a person that was born in 19 or 1930 or 1940. Mm -hmm. It was a different time. And I think that she was able to do the things that we take for granted today. To me, that's a catalyst in itself. Yeah, that's great. Um, Thank you for all of those. Uh, we always like to end with a call to action, and I'm, I'm even inspired by what you said at the end a bit there around uh, straight, white, able-bodied males. But to anyone, do you have a call to action uh, for those folks who are looking to get into this work and don't know what to do or are in it and looking for some encouragement? Um, yeah. Uh, I would say two things. Be a business person first. We're all business leaders, and you have to be a business person first understand the business your company is in, know what makes that company drive and tick um, and how to move forward. And then the second thing is, this is all about driving change. A catalyst is change. So upskill yourself and how do you drive change, right? Because you're leading out of passion and heart, which is great. I am as well. But we have to be able to take that passion and heart and apply it to a business tapestry to have it be able to be adopted and move forward. But if you do those two things, I think it'll help breeze the path uh, to success for you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you really you're such an inspiring uh, guest, but it's also so concrete. Like it was a really nice mix of just like I feel inspired. The call to actions are real. And it's like brass tacks about be a business person. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us and the listeners. Thank you all for having me. Um, And we are excited to continue to follow your impact, how you're productizing new things, taking them to market. So we'll put your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so that people can follow your progress. Sounds Um, good. And then Justin, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. To our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out the book, Move Fast, Break Shit, Burnout. And if you'd like to learn more about how to accelerate positive change, go to our website at catalystconstellations.com. And if you have other catalysts in your life, hit the share button and send a link their way.